welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 412, and we are wrapping up our series that we've been doing called The Backpack Hunt Breakdown. Now, we're not wrapping it up for good. This uh, won't be the last time we do these episodes. The feedback that we've gotten from you guys have been great. We already have some other guests and stories in mind to make part of this series in the future. But at least for now, for this summer, this will be the last installment that we've been doing all of this month in July of 2023. And speaking of July, as we wrap up this month, it's the final days to get entered into win the giveaway for July, which is the Outdoor Vitals Ventus hoodie. If you haven't yet checked out the Ventus or entered the giveaway, go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast during this month, July of 2023. And you'll find more information about the Ventus and also the simple entry form to make sure you get entered to win. Just a heads up, there's another giveaway coming for August and also a lot of new podcast content coming. We have a bunch of episodes that we've recorded with you guys, listeners of the show, as part of our Before and After the Hunt series. So we've recorded the Before Conversations with a variety of different listeners and a variety of different hunts and hunting contexts for different species, places in the country, and abroad. So there's a lot of cool content coming, not only with that series, but some of the other episodes that we have planned. As always, we thank you guys for staying engaged with the podcast and supporting it. If you can leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you're using, that helps us tremendously. If you can share the show with a friend or anything like that, it's truly helpful. We don't do any advertising or anything like that. So the show only grows as you guys support it and share it. And thank you for doing it. Finally, before we dive into today's conversation, just wanted to remind you guys to reach out to us. If you have any questions, topic suggestions, guest suggestions, or anything like that, just send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. All right, well, in today's episode of the Backpack Hunt Breakdown, we feature Scott, and he went on a hunt up in British Columbia for multiple species, which you'll hear about. And, you know, sometimes when a hunt comes about or a podcast comes about, that's not a species or place that you are hunting or maybe never will hunt. Don't tune out. There's so much to take away from this story with Scott and to apply to your hunting adventures, no matter what, when, or where you're hunting. So here's this conversation with Scott. Well, Scott, welcome to the Hunt's Back Country podcast. I'm excited to chat with you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, as Steve, I think it was uh, you and I, I think this came from just like the rock slide, the K4 thread, right? That we saw Scott in there and kind of like, man, this guy seems like he actually gets out and gets after it. Let's see what he's up to. Yeah, absolutely. I could tell Scott just from your, you know, comments that um, you understood. I don't know. You could just, you could tell you understood backpacks and how to use them, how to wear them. You were asking technical questions that, you know, maybe other people weren't asking and I was like, yeah, this guy's, uh, I can just tell this guy knew what he's doing. So, uh, but we were reached out and see if you want to jump on and just talk about hunting. Yeah. What is kind of some like background and context, Scott, just for listeners. Um, I know you've done some guiding, but like, where are you from? What do you like to hunt? Uh, what does your, you know, hunting journey look like a bit? Uh, from interior of British Columbia and, uh, uh, kind of grew, my dad kind of grew kind of grew up hunting with my dad when I was young and then he kind of got out of it and we lived in the Yukon for a bit and I had some memories of being in the mountains with him and his buddy and uh yeah and he kind of he got out of hunting when we moved from the Yukon down to BC and then we did a little bit of small game hunting when I was younger and then in BC and then he totally got out of it and then uh just from an old guy at work we used to hunt Kind of got me back into it in, well, 2007. I started dove deep into it and then slowly progressed into uh, getting into backpack hunting and stuff like that. And probably my, the main thing I hunt is uh, mule deer around here locally. 
bears and then yeah i try to get up north northern bc for every once in a while my first time up north in northern bc was in 2014 did a stone sheep hunt with a friend and then we it was a it was a great trip like it was really hard it was the in beginning of august so super hot and buggy so really mentally draining uh, we didn't even see a sheep that trip and we went again the next year a little bit later in the season saw a couple of sheep but nothing legal but it really got me hooked on the mountains of northern bc so then uh yeah i try to get up there as much as i can but life and family and work schedules you have to work around that and but yeah my, my favorite thing is to go up north for backpack hunting trips for sure nice are those like you guys fly into a lake and backpack hunt from there yeah, the first the first trip we did, we did a short flight and then short flying trip. And then the second one, we just did a hike in from a highway. And then uh, the trip that we're going to talk about here was a fly-in trip. Well, set the context for this trip. Um, I'm sure as we start talking about it, uh, it's going to take up a good amount of time and pull from it. So I want to get into it. But this trip in particular, I guess, you know, tell us all the the generalities of like who you were with uh, in terms of like how many guys and what time of year and what was the goal kind of as the trip um, became together. I mean, obviously this series in particular, we're, we're kind of trying to break down a backpack hunt into these different categories or sections. And that starts with uh, planning. So as we get into planning, I guess that's some context for what this trip is, what the goal was. Yeah, so it's kind of weird because the the guy that I had gone up north the previous two times he couldn't go again this, this year that I wanted to go, so I just I didn't really know anybody anybody else because I was just getting into it, kind of new going to Northern BC, and then everybody's so kind of uh, secretive and does, doesn't want to bring new hunters into or new guys up there into their spots. So I just ended up talking to a, a guy on Instagram and we kind of really meshed. So. We decided to meet to get meet up and do a couple of bear hunts in the spring and stuff like that. And so we decided to go on a trip north and and uh, we both have been talking, but we both wanted to would love to get a caribou. So we the spot we put in for was a draw zone, and uh, so we both put in for caribou and goats and sheep and he put in for a grizzly as well. So um, I drew only a caribou and he, he got lucky and he drew a caribou goat and, or no, sorry. I, I got a sheep and a caribou draw and he got a caribou goat and a grizzly draw. So, yeah. So our priority was just to go for caribou and uh, the caribou were kind of North of the lake. We're going to fly into and the sheep kind of were in a zone South of the lake. So, we decided to prioritize caribou because we both really wanted one of those or hunting at least. So we, yeah, so we flew into, we, you know, we did the regular thing with everybody that everybody does and scoured Google earth and looked at mountains and spots. And we kind of already knew of a popular lake that we wanted to fly into. And, uh, so yeah, just scoured maps and t- talked to a lot of people that I, you know, once you you learn about an area, you can find, you seem to, f- seem to find other guys that have been in there and this and that. So talked to a bunch of people about that have been in there. Well, not a bunch of people, but a few people, I guess, and got some good information. What we might, what we might ex- expect in there. Yeah, it's it's wild for, I can imagine some listeners here from the states from the lower 48 (laughs) found it very funny that you guys had like sheep and goat and grizzly and yet you prioritized caribou because a lot of guys are going wait a second (laughs) (laughs) a goat hunt and a sheep hunt and a grizzly hunt like that's the like once in a lifetime stuff that dreams are made of and you know caribou is a fantastic hunt but when you like quote unquote rank (laughs) the species it's often lower on the list. So uh, I know things are different, obviously, for you as a BC resident and the opportunities that you have. But can you talk a little bit more maybe about like, these were draws was, you know, was this 
Did you prioritize care at all? I know you said you just wanted one, but is it a harder tag to draw for this area or kind of like what went into that prioritization of species, if you will? Because it sounds, I'm not questioning you, it just sounds backwards to a lot of lower 48 guys who are probably listening. Yeah, like the area we that uh, for this area, with the, it's all draw only and the odds are really, really good. Like, so our, our draw system here is this basic lottery, so... There's no points or anything like that. And uh, so all the all the species are pretty much one-to-one one or two-to-one odds. And they give out a lot of tags for these all the animals in there, this area. But a lot of people don't – they see the low odds they put in, but then they have to – they find out later that you have – you can only fly into this area. And so a lot of people don't even go after they find that out. And, uh, so I don't, yeah, I just put in for caribou and goat and sheep, but yeah, he, Brandon put in for everything. So, and he got lucky. Well, I got lucky as well, but yeah, we're super lucky in BC to be able to hunt all the, the species we can. And, you know, the draw to put in for a draw for any animal is $6 for us. So, and then yeah, why, why not? Yeah. 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 And then. And then the tags are cheap as well. Like I think you guys pay a lot of money for tags, but our most expensive tag in BC is for a stone sheep, and that's for a sheep in general is sixty dollars. So, um, so we're pretty lucky in that way. But Crazy. so Brandon had already shot a stone sheep, so and so that's why we and he had, he wanted a caribou bad, and I always was fascinated with caribou, and so. I had no problem agreeing to go for caribou as well first. So what, what did you guys choose in terms of timing? Is this a pretty short season? Like, Hey, this is, this is a 10 day season or 10 day opportunity. We need to be in there for these days. Or is it a situation where this tag is good for a wider period of time? And you were kind of making the decisions on, Hey, do we go earlier or later or kind of mid season? What was it like for, for that aspect of the plan? Yeah, for that, um, the caribou seasons, there's, I think there's three different, if I remember correctly, three different seasons for caribou. So they're about two weeks each. So I think there is a, a late August, um, first two weeks of September, and then the last two weeks of September. And from everything that we had heard that late September caribou bulls, that's when they're rutting, are not, not very uh, good to eat. So we didn't, we were, we wanted to get some meat out, out of this as well. So we we prioritized the early September, so we were in there. We flew on September third into the into the area, second or third. So, the previous trips you've done up north, like pretty similar to this area and that timing, or was this specific spot and this specific timing something that was pretty new to you? Like, did you feel like you had like, oh yeah, I kind of know what I'm getting into, or was there kind of certain um, unknowns for you yeah this was the uh, the previous two trips i did were both in august so now we're into september and even in august up there you can you can get into the snow you never know right but uh so this is a little bit this is later for both of us and so yeah i had to you know bring different gear for to expect some colder weather for sure up there yeah, it's definitely a, a planning aspect of just looking at the specifics of each hunt. And sometimes that's just timing. What was, I mean, Steve and I have talked quite a bit about a lot of the gear doesn't change, but you get into a potentially colder weather hunt. And sometimes it's just one or two or three things that you choose differently that make all the difference for you. What were some of the specific maybe gear quote unquote changes uh, that you went into for this hunt? Uh, I remember <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, I remember really going back and forth on whether or not to bring a soft shell jacket, which I never bring on a backpack trip because, you know, they're heavy and they don't really offer much in the form of warmth and protection. But I, I actually bought a, brought a soft shell and I was glad I did because I wore it like every day, just, you know, hiking around this and that when you're active. And then, you know, when you're not, you know, you got to layer up with a puffy jacket. So. I was glad I brought up a soft shell jacket. And then another thing that I brought for the first time was like a pair of down mittens, which 
I loved and always bring anytime I go on a backpack trip now. My hands get super cold and like, and uh, yeah, those are the only things I could ever bring them back other than having a fire. But a lot of these spots up north, there's no, you're, you know, you're above tree line. So there's no trees that start fires. So I was really happy I brought the down mitts. Those are one of my favorite pieces when it's cold. <laughs> they make all the difference. For how light they are and, you know, you scrunch them up to nothing and then they're just so warm. They're which, nice. uh, which brand did you use? I think I had a pair of Kuyu ones actually that then. Okay. But, uh, Kuyu super down mitts, I think. I can't remember what they're called, but I don't have them anymore, but they got shredded up. But I still have a pair of outdoor research ones now. They're similar to those first light ones that I pack everywhere with me. We don't, uh, you know, a lot of these kind of categories overlap, um, but kind of the next one, if you will, not that we have to leave all aspects of planning, but the next one is kind of managing. And Steve, I, I feel like in this conversation, not specifically, I should say not this conversation with Scott, but this series of podcasts, like there's a lot of stuff on pre-planning a hunt and e-scouting and all that. And there's a lot about like the hunt itself and the hunting tactics. But to me, like this is one of the categories and managing that for a backpack hunt in particular is I think really important, but probably overlooked in a way. Um, so it's honestly one of the kind of one of the categories I get excited to hear about. Is that for you, Scott, something that you've really thought about is kind of like how to manage time and energy and things like that. Or kind of when I proposed this to you or was that something that kind of was like, yeah, now that you think about it, it is important. Not, not, not really, to be honest, like, so after, after flying in BC, you can't hunt for six hours. So, um, we landed the lake, we got our gear scared, you know, we stored some gear at the lake, um, extra stuff and some extra food. Cause we we're in a plan going south if, after the caribou trek. And, uh, so, so we did that. We got our stuff, you know, we put them in big buckets and hung them in trees to keep away from bears or anything like that. And, uh, so we hiked up, up an old horse trail and we had basically two, the, the trail forked and we took the, the right side trail up to the, up to a plateau. So it took about three hours to get up to the top of the plateau. And we had ran into some guys lower down a group of three that were in they've been kind of they weren't camping up on the plateau they were camped further down in the trees and they were just kind of hiking up every day and they saw some caribou but nothing nothing they wanted to shoot and uh so when we ran to them they were kind of just said they were hunting around the beginning of the plateau so so we it was about a three-hour hike like i said and then we got to the top of the plateau pretty good trail which is nice and uh we basically just made the decision to go as far as we could to the far end of the plateau which i can't remember how long it would have been probably like seven or eight kilometers so pretty large and lots of draws coming off you know fingers and this and that so and uh so we made the decision to go over to the far end as far as we can go basically before it got dark, you know, just to get away from these other guys. And we also also had some intel because water is, finding water is hard up when you're up top, especially on a plateau. We I got, got some intel from another guy of where like a spring was. And we actually, it was actually there. So we kind of just ended up setting up our camp within like 500 meters of the spring just so we could have water because... You all know how important water is so and then so yeah like once we set up our camp we we chilled out that night and went to bed early and it actually started snowing that night it was kind of a little bit of a blizzard that night so then the next morning when we woke up we just wanted to kind of get a lay of the land and look or take a look around right and see what we're up against we've been looking at it on google earth for six months it's nice to see how big the country always is when you actually get there. And it's always way bigger than it looks like on the computer. Yeah, that's for dang sure. Those horse trails, Scott, is that something where, like I think of, uh, again, to compare here to the lower 48, is 
you know, there are certain trail systems that are established, right? Um, like it's a name trail or what have you. It's, you know, if guys are looking at Onyx, for example, they can just see like, oh, hey, here's an actual established trail. Mm-hmm. But then you get out there and, you know, you find other trails that aren't established and aren't maybe in Onyx or um, in other maps. But whether that's, you know, looking close with sat imagery like Google Earth, sometimes you can pick up things like horse trails um, or sometimes you just get pleasantly surprised on the ground and kind of see some horse or game trails that make moving through the country way more efficient. What was the case here for you guys going into this? Like you said that it was a pretty good horse trail up to the plateau, but was that something you knew in advance and targeted or was that just a kind of a welcome surprise? Yeah, I'd, I'd heard there was a good trail going out there, so... We uh, knew to look for it. And I knew there was another trail veering off this one to a different different area that also held caribou. So we knew the we knew to look for it. And traveling on trails up through the up through the subalpine is just the way to go. It's just as far as cons- consuming your or conserving your energy and whatnot. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting contrast. Just thinking of this idea of managing like time and energy i think you mentioned those other guys were camped lower and kind of hiking up to the plateau every day maybe mm-hmm. that was just the edge of it but it's like that versus you guys packing in and getting up there and kind of staying up there um essentially a bigger effort once but now you're not losing and climbing each day not only from an energy perspective but even a time perspective it sounds like you guys are waking up in the position to be able to glass you know straight from camp yeah like, it just makes sense to do that for me i think but i think that's it's a, a good example of things that you're doing that other people may miss right like mm-hmm. um there's these things that are just subconscious that you just do and you're just like oh yeah that makes sense to me uh, and that, you know, in the end lead to a successful hunt where the guys who were camped down lower, maybe they weren't successful. They were, you know, by day three or four, they were tired because they were hiking so much more every day that uh, they gave up and quit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can't remember. I don't know why they were doing that, but it was fine with us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a great, like part of the point of this series is to break down these hunts and because there's a lot of guys who just go on hunts and they come back and it's like one excuse after another they weren't successful and just trying to start breaking down some of the decisions uh that guys make that that lead to success yeah and even the the guy that i went with previous to this was on the sheep hunts there like he kind of i don't know we didn't we hunted good together and but he kind of now day three or four after not seeing much he was getting pretty negative and so Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to find someone else to go up north with or do these kind of trips with. So, yeah. So, and I knew that then Brandon, the guy I went with, ended up going with, like, he was, we were both same mindset. We're both close, closer to age and physical abilities. So, yeah, it ended up working out really well for us in that way. So, another one of these, like, categories we just kind of want to keep in mind and assess is just living, like, living in the backcountry on a backpack hunt is you know it's just more demands than a hunt that's not a backpack style hunt and you mentioned water already and you know clearly one of the most critical if not the most critical aspects potentially of a backpack hunt you mentioned knowing of the spring uh kind of by word of mouth finding it and getting near it it would have been would have been possible to kind of camp in the area if it weren't for that spring in particular Would, would you have been able to um stay there and camp and hunt from there or was that spring you know pretty much a lifesaver we could but we'd have to drop down down to the lake right or there there i'm sure they're in some of these draws and valleys there must have been some water flowing but yeah we'd have to drop down you know several thousand feet probably every couple days which would burn up a lot of energy and time right if you have to do it you have to do it right yeah yeah for yeah sure so you mentioned getting in there and kind of setting up camp and you said kind of waking up and really getting the lay of the land for the first time i guess just from a pure like progression of the hunt story itself uh where did things pick up waking up that first full day in the country uh yeah we woke up it was like nice and sunny and blue sky 
thick layer of frosting and everything, frozen boots and all that good stuff. And um, yeah, we just kind of we just kind of took our time and you know had a good breakfast and coffee and looked at some maps and decided where we wanted to you know aim. So we kind of we so we never ended up making it to the very end of the plateau that night before dark. But uh, so we wanted to keep going. We didn't we we kept our we set our we kept our camp where it was. And we just kind of like day tripped out from there. So we basically kept going, aiming for the far end of the plateau just to see, right? See what's out there. And uh, we were probably out for a few hours. And then at the very far end of the plateau, we could see some rocky bluffs. And sure enough, there is a couple goats sitting on the in the cliffs there. So Brandon had a goat tag. So we we started making our way that way and uh on our way on our way to the goats we you know we're traveling all plateau i don't know if you guys are i know you guys have been to alaska if you guys are been much plateau hunting but it's very rolling hills and distances look a lot closer than they actually are and it takes longer to get here and there but we were just, you know, traveling across and going up and down into the folds and little rolls and hills and stuff. And we came up over this knob and, you know, 500 yards in front of us, it was this hillside that was just like dug up, like nothing we've ever seen. And, you know, it looked like somebody was in there with an excavator and, uh, and we didn't see anything at first, but then we started, uh, you know, we just kept moving on and then over one of the little, over one of the little humps on the plateau, we just seen this like the top of the back of a bear. And sure enough, it was a grizzly bear digging up the whole hillside. I must've been up a marmot or something like that. But, uh, so yeah, so our, our trip to the goats ended with, uh, Brandon uh, and I, we stalked in on this grizzly bear and he shot that that first morning of hunting and uh so yeah and then yeah so well we're not in bc we're not allowed to hunt grizzly bears anymore but that was when we could obviously this was a few years ago and so yeah so we uh skinned that bear out and i had never seen it before but like you know i hear about it but like the fat on that thing was just blue and purple like from the blueberries has been feeding on forever and it's, it's stained our hands and our clothes and everything it was, it was pretty crazy huh. but uh so yeah we skinned the bear out for a rug um and so we, obviously our goat hunt for the day was over so we you know spent a few hours doing that and then a couple more hours hiking back to our camp and then we were dealing with that for the rest of the day flushing it out and then i remember yeah that that night just from flushing it out my hands got super cold and that's when those down mitts really saved my saved my hands because they were i I remember trying to light our jet boil and i couldn't even like flick a lighter my thumbs were so cold Mm. it's still just like crazy to me i know we already talked about it (laughs) beat the dead horse but you guys are talking about all these species you can apply for. And then in one hunt, Scott, you're like, yeah, we were caribou hunting, but then we kind of got sidetracked and started chasing a goat. And then a grizzly bear got in our way and we're going to tag for that too. So it's just like, holy smokes. I know. We're very lucky. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of enough people in BC understand how lucky we are with our opportunities for hunting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you were talking about the plateau stuff earlier and, Mark, remember on our, our first caribou trip up at the brooks where yeah. the, saw the caribou across the valley, like, oh, you'd be over there in 30 minutes. And then you actually like, got on Onyx and drew a line. Like, That's two and a half miles. And it's <laughs> yeah. all freaking tussocks the entire way. It was a, a five hour hike. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it's not the easiest walking, right? Yeah. Definitely not. So with harvesting that bear. As you said, you know, skin it for a rug, flushing it out, you're back at camp, you've packed that. Just logistically, did this change the rest of your hunt plan at all? Or was it pretty easy to be like, okay, that's done, that's taken care of. We can have that here and then, you know, keep hunting, whether that's for goats or caribou or uh, 
anything else that you guys had to ask for, but I guess that's just the question. Like again, these decision points, right? Yeah. Guys get into a hunting situation um, and maybe it's not all these species we've talked about, but very realistically, like there's these scenarios where hunters are hunting with a buddy or maybe in a small group. And there's this possibility of filling multiple tags on a single hunt. And when people are fortunate enough to have that happen, sometimes I think guys don't have the experience of, okay, we filled one tag. Here's kind of the best way to deal with it. Or here's some things to think through on how this affects the rest of the hunt. So I guess at least for this, you know, one example in your situation, can you kind of elaborate on did filling this bear tag at this point change the duration of the hunt or maybe what were some of the decisions involved with how to use the rest of your time? Um, I don't, I don't remember even having the conversation of it, like changing anything. Um, but well, probably because like when we were back at camp that evening, working on the bear hide and stuff across the valley from our camp over came over there was a, you know, pretty good valley, pretty big draw. And then on the other side was some more cliff faces and rocks and stuff like that, you know, the whole, the whole length of it. And sure enough, two goats popped over, popped over and bedded down in the rocks, like on our side of the, the valley, they must've came up from the backside. So, you know, just before dark, we seen these things sitting there and, you know, put up our spotting scope and confirm that there's, you know, two billies. So, <laughs> so that kind of made our plans for the next morning. <laughs> so we just, yeah, we just finished working on that bear and then, and then made a plan. We decided if those goats were still there in the morning that we're going to go after them next. And then, uh, so, but yeah, we didn't, there was no talk of, uh, you know, heading back to the lake or anything at that, at that point after just getting the bear. Um, but yeah, I think we were both pretty pumped the first day we got first day of hunting. We were already successful with getting something. So, um, and we still hadn't seen, we didn't see any caribou when we were, when we were heading over, heading over where the bear was or the goats were at the first, that first day either yet. So, but, uh, so yeah, we went, uh, we went to bed with, two goats, you know, probably a couple, couple kilometers or a mile or so away from our camp. And we were just hoped in the morning when we woke up, they'd still be there or somewhere near. Right. Awesome. Was that the case? You guys go to bed with high hopes, wake up, try to relocate them. How did that go? Yeah. When we woke up in the morning, um, another sunny day, really frosty. And sure enough, the goats are, they moved over, you know, a little, a couple hundred yards maybe, but they were still in the same area. And in a total total stockable location, so we had a quick breakfast and made our. We looped around the backside. We you know we had to travel across the plateau again, but we kind of dropped off the the backs. The you know the side when we could, when we could we got dropped off the side and you know stayed at a site and uh, crept over and we got in we got in within about five hundred yards of them and they still hadn't moved or anything. And we're just hunkered down behind some rocks and boulders. And then uh, we decided we had to get a little bit closer because we wanted to get a better look at them as well. And so we stalked into about 350 yards and then they're both still bedded down. Um, one was higher than the other, just on these, this big knob overlooking this huge valley across from our camp. So we, or we dropped our packs which I don't really like doing, but so we dropped our packs a bit and then we walked, you know, we got up and hunkered down behind this boulder at about 350 yards. And we just basically waited there till, uh, they, they stood up and got out of their beds and we got, we were pretty cold. Like it was still pretty early in the morning and, you know, thick frost in the ground still. And we didn't bring in, you know, we dropped our packs. We didn't have our puppy jackets or anything like that. So we're just kind of like, hunkered behind this rock and then I just remember the sun would come and go as the clouds were blown over and when that sun would poke out for you know 30 seconds and you hit your face and it would just like warm your warm your body just for that quick second you know it feels so good and then 
But yeah, finally, finally, one of the goats got up, the one that he wanted, Brandon wanted, and he was he was sitting there waiting. We were sitting there for two hours waiting, approximately two hours, and he made a good shot and down went a goat. So we had to, we went and hiked over there and <laughs> quartered it out and then deboned it and hauled it all back to our camp. And then, yeah, we set up a little silt tarp and put the, had, we had set the silt tarp up the night before and put the bear under there, bear, bear hide and stuff like that. And then, and we, yeah, we put the, he caped that out. He wanted to get a cape shoulder mount done with that. So he caped out the goat, deboned all the meat. Oh, no, we deboned the meat at the kill site and then just brought the bag, game bags back. But, but then at that point is when we decided that safe thing to do would be haul everything back to the lake at that point because if we were going to continue looking for caribou like we wouldn't be able to deal with a goat and the bear hide in our camp and then plus caribou right so we decided and we hadn't seen any caribou yet either so we had decided for the next day we'd pack up haul our gear back down to down to the lake and they had the meat back to the lake and then we were going to we decided we were going to go up the left tra- horse trail that we passed on the way up to the plateau go back to you you said you dropped your pack and you don't like doing that you got any you want to elaborate on that because i completely agree every time i do it i immediately regret it yeah i was going to ask the same thing Stephen. i was i don't know if this is helpful scott but like one question i have to that because i wanted to come back to that too Yep. Did you drop your pack for like a mobility reason, meaning like you're covering this country and it's more difficult to do with your pack? Or did it just have to do with like keeping a lower profile as you were sneaking in? But yeah, exact Steve, like what, what went into that doing it, even though you don't like doing it? Yeah, just the profile thing. Like it wasn't, it wasn't gnarly enough that it wasn't, didn't feel, it wasn't, that wasn't, yeah, it wasn't gnarly country, like too rocky to, feel safe with it on it was just like a mobility thing and i think i think uh brandon must have said let's drop our packs but yeah i don't if i was by myself i would have kept it on probably i don't know i just probably just did it because he was doing it but mm-hmm. but yeah i just like to have my pack on me and you know you would have could have threw a puppy jacket on or this and that or you know you have all your food in there i just yeah I, generally i don't like dropping my pack ever yeah that's but, it. Every, every time i've done it, it's a mistake i just regret yeah. it right right away because and you never know especially if you're solo like you, you know yeah. something you could go 100 yards and fall and break your leg and not be able to get back to your pack and have you know warm clothes and food and whatnot yeah or you're in reach or anything like that yeah yeah you hear a lot of horror stories of people dropping their pack and losing it you know can't find it right so but heat of the moment i guess we dropped our packs but it wasn't you know life-threatening we could, you know we could have used a could have used a puppy jacket or something like that but we were fine <laughs> backing up even further you mentioned like you guys glassed these goats from where you woke up and you said they were in a stockable position and then you talked you know kind of briefly about how you circled around to make that approach these are always difficult things to describe on a podcast without like being there seeing the lay of the land etc but is there anything you can elaborate on on either assessing that the goats were in a stockable position and it was worth going after them and, or like how you made that approach intentionally based off of, you know, how the terrain laid out again, I just, it's difficult to describe anything you can kind of pull out of that. If there's something specific that would be helpful to share with a listener. Cause that's, yeah, for sure. it's uh, yeah. It's just skipping over off like, yeah, they were approachable and we did <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I see, um, yeah, so like the val- like across the valley from us, like I said, they're like it pretty much that valley ended probably if a thousand yards further than our camp was. Like so we just had basically walk around. Well, we were in plain sight going across the plateau until probably the end of the pl- end of that valley that they're on the other side of. And then so then after we got to the end, we kind of just kept going and dropped just, just off the edge of it so we could be out of sight of them. But like think of a big U, basically, and we had to walk around the bottom of the U to get over to where they were. And then 
the the country they were like the rocks the bluffs they were in were pretty like pretty tame for where goats would usually be hide hanging out and so and uh so no no sketchy cliffs or anything like that this time so when you guys made the decision to begin packing the bear and the goat from camp back to the lake uh you know in terms of like that pack out was there any sort of strategy to the way that you did it in terms of what order you guys chose to carry things did you take one full trip to the lake come all the way back or like leapfrog like just kind of all those logistic uh aspects of this particular pack out um so so yeah we packed for six days up on here so we didn't i can't remember our packs we had but they weren't you know i know my pack was in the 50 pound range probably 55 maybe and we also i guess uh part of the planning was usually i would sleep i had a solo tent because any other guy that i've ever hunted with snores and i'm a pretty light sleeper so like so i like to have my own tent and uh but we ended up bringing just the one tent we shared his tent this time which worked out fine and uh so we you know we we packed a light as we could because i don't know we had high hopes of coming out heavy so we really brought the bare bare bones of gear and this and that and then uh so i i brandon took the bear hide and you know his camp i took all the goat meat and his cape and you know our each of our own gear and uh we were just going to make the the one shot right to the lake from there you know it crossing the plateau was pretty flat you know just a little bit up and down hills in there like and then after we got to that horse trail it's all downhill from there um so yeah we were we were totally capable of just doing that one trip what we had you said um what'd you say about six days uh oh yeah so we we packed for six days up okay this, that was the you know, total the, number of days you could have stayed yeah. out with the white head oh, okay gotcha up on the flat up on the plateau here because like we had high uh, we had planned to do six days up here and then like i think five if we didn't find anything up there to go for sheep which was, was on the other side of the lake right? mm-hmm. from our intel there was no sheep on the north side so so yeah we'd pack for six days up there and then yeah, it was uh, day day four. We we're coming down. First day, no, day three. Day three, we we're coming down. So quick and efficient, man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like halfway across our trek of the plateau, you know, we're probably an hour and a half or so, two hours into our hike back across the plateau. Same thing, just going up and down over the the rolling plateau and up way up probably a kilometer ahead of us we could see something that looked out of place so we dropped our packs and put our spotter up and sure enough we could see there was a herd of caribou we could just see the tops of their antlers over one of the little rises <laughs> and uh so yeah we got pretty excited that we saw some we're finally seeing some caribou so we uh did the same thing we just dropped off the edge of the off one side the the close side of the plateau just to stay off the you know the height you know off the height of land kind of thing and we got in within 300 yards again and dropped you know took our we didn't drop our packs time we just took our packs off and we set up the spotting scope and and started looking at them and they're all we counted nine bulls in this herd and so we made the decision that we we better do something right now. So <laughs> Brandon let me pick which one I wanted basically. And uh um it was pretty neat because you know it was the beginning of September. So you know some of them had like velvet hanging off their antlers still and you know looked like shredded curtains. Some of them and then you know some were full at full velvet still and some were totally uh peeled off and some were just hanging. So it's pretty neat to see that. I've never seen that before. So um yeah, we so we ended up belly crawling a bit to get into a good shoot, shooting position, and uh, I lined up on my pack and 
I shot mine and it dropped right there, dropped right in its tracks. And then within like a second after that, Brandon shot his and we had two caribou down now as well. Mm. And <laughs> we were both shocked and ecstatic about it. So yeah, grabbed our already heavy packs and made our way over. We both of the caribou were both similar age and size and, and yeah, quite a bit bigger than we thought they were like, you know, not seeing caribou before when, once we got up to them, like the body size and, uh, we were going to try to drag them together to get a picture, but we could barely even move, move the one together. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about like be, cause you know, there's different, uh, caribou in, in, in different areas can be different, right? Like body size wise and all that stuff and have different genetic aspects to them. But I don't know anything about BC caribou. Yeah. You know, I don't like, I, I don't know if they're, uh, I should know this, I guess, but I don't know if they're considered barren ground caribou or. Yeah. More woodland or. Woodland. I think they're woodland now that I think of it. Okay. I'm not, I could be wrong. Gotcha. But. So, yeah. So then we uh, both work. <laughs> We're sending in reach messages to our families at home, ecstatic about it. And uh, so we we both ended up caping the caribou out. And then uh, we we both did our own caribou and, you know, did the gutless method and took all the quarters off and then back straps and tenderloins and all that and then all the neck meat and this and that. And we laid it all out on my sill tarp. And then kind of just looked at each other and was like, now what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. How far are you from the lake here? Uh, we're probably still another, probably four hours, I guess. Well, no, it took about, it'd probably take four hours going up to where we were. So going down would be quicker, but, uh, still far. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was probably getting close to about lunchtime, maybe a little bit after lunchtime by the time we were done dealing with them. So yeah, we kind of just talked about like what we're going to do here and uh, cause we didn't talk about it before we took, took the shots. So we decided <laughs> to, uh, we were just going to leave, we we're going to hump it back to the lake and then come back up the next morning light and grab the, grab all the meat and stuff. And then Brandon said, he's like, I'm taking the head right now. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So we both threw a caribou. Well, we didn't know we didn't keep the caribou out yet. We just, yeah, well, we caked them out, but the, the hide was still on the head, right? So, yeah, yeah, uh, we threw that on our packs as well now. So we were really heavy coming down, and I think we even took some meat, a little bit of meat too. Jeez, you no, know, just like to fill goat, our bag. Yeah, like bear, you know, uh, caribou heads, and meat. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> It was, it was a rough trip going down. I'll say that like, um, I know Brandon was having troubles keeping his, keeping that rack on his pack and just, yeah, uncomfortable. And we would walk a bit and then stop and sit down. And then what, like, you know, you, if you're sometimes when you're hauling, I don't know what our packs weighed, like we didn't weigh them obviously, but sometimes when you're hauling that much weight, like you guys know, like sometimes stopping and sitting down is more work than getting up, you know, getting back to your feet than just stopping mm -hmm. and just sitting or standing there. You know what I mean? Or at least for mm -hmm. me, but we, we just walk as much as we could stop. However, it, it was a rough trip. Were you feeling kind of beat up before this? Like how had you recovered from the previous pack out with the bear and the goat? Yeah. I was going to say that something we're glossing over here is obviously you guys are physically fit just to keep doing this day after day yeah yeah like well the bear was the first like you know we hiked up there the first day and then the next morning or the next day we you know day two we got the bear and then we brought that back to camp and it wasn't bad and then the goat was like right across from camp like you know took us probably an hour to get back to our camp so we were both still feeling feeling pretty fresh like you know we're only a couple days a few days into this hunt and we got all these animals down so we weren't beat up like it wasn't like day 10 when you're you know when you're really starting to feel it you know so um and also on adrenaline right because there was action every day for us the first two days we 
we killed something. So then day or third day, we're killing again. So there was a lot of adrenaline still flowing and kept us going down, getting down to the lake, I think. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot, man. Yeah. So then, yeah. So we got all down to the lake that night and just exhausted. I remember because then we were, we set up our camp and we had to cape out the, the heads of those caribou, which is a daunting task because I've done deer and bear, but these things are huge and it was taking forever. And like I was, I was done. Like I didn't want anything to do with it, but you know, <laughs> just kept doing it. And, uh, cause I thought how neat a caribou mount would be. So, um, yeah, I just remember feeling exhausted and my hands were just cramping up that, you know, by the end of doing all that. And, and then, uh, yeah, so we had a, we had a bunch of, good extra non-backpack foods and stuff down at the bot at the lake there that we got to enjoy that night. And then, uh, yeah, we, well, we ran into the other party down at the lake that night. They were down at the lake. Then I think they had camped down there as well. So we ran into them and showed them what we got and then kind of re reignited their flame to go back up further because <laughs> they hadn't got anything yet. And, uh, yeah, we had, uh, we had to go back up the next day, next morning we were up and super sore. I remember after hiking down to the lake with that load, like I couldn't even lift my arms above my shoulders. My shoulders are so sore. <laughs> the pack load coming down. Feet were sore, you know, like, you know how it is. <laughs> yeah. What did you do? What did you run for footwear? Um, I don't know if it's, you know, again, anything like the country Steve and I have hunted in Alaska with some of it's rolling, like some of it's steep, some of it's super soft and squishy, some of it's rocky, like there just can be a little bit of everything. What, what did you have? Um, on that hunt, I wore a pair of, uh, Hanweg, uh, trapper top boots. So I usually wear, uh, the Hanweg Alaskan boot. Well, I did back then, and then I brought had those trouser tops. They were a bit of a taller boot. I think these ones are a little had a bit of. I don't know if they're insulated or not, but I thought, I just figured they'd be better for the than the colder weather we might run into. So that's what I was wearing for this hunt, and I don't think they didn't quite fit me that well because I lost some toenails after that trip. <laughs> <laughs> Was that from like going downhill and having contact or do you kind of recall the yeah. specific issue or fitment? Yeah, I think it was just coming down and then like the, probably the heavy, I think they're just too narrow for my feet. Cause I pretty couple days after that, getting back, I had a couple of blue black toenails on each toe or each foot. Sorry. And, uh, yeah, both of those fell off a month later. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. And even Brandon, I think, like if I remember right, he had uh, he had some real issues with his feet after that hunt too. I don't know if it was from improper footwear or just heavy load coming down that day. Yeah, we we should have probably just left. I don't know. We 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 survived, but <laughs> heavy load. <laughs> with you guys harvesting this much, like having all these meat hides, everything, antlers. Did that create any logistical challenges for transportation from the lake? So we had to pay for an extra flight out. So that was, uh, I can't remember what that cost us, but yeah, we had, instead of just doing one flight out, we had to fly out. So Brandon flew out with a load of meat and then I had to wait at the lake and then the pilot came back and grabbed me and we took the racks and stuff, the racks and, you know, all my gear and stuff. Oh, yeah. so yeah. So an extra expense for an extra flight, but yeah, worth it. It was all worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, I feel like this, this one hunt jammed, you know, potentially years of experience into really just a handful of days. As you look back at it now, aside from just like the good memories of the adventure and the success in terms of more of like lessons learned or things like that, what stands out to you? 
I don't know. Like I've always, I've always been a real firm believer is like hunting is like being partially luck. Like you gotta, you have to be in, you have to put yourself in those positions to find those animals, right? Like you need to, like, you're not gonna, like you gotta put yourself in the position. So, and if you get lucky and they're there, then when you're there, then that's how it, how it rolls. Right. So like, I've always thought like, you just gotta put yourself in those positions and, have a little bit of luck on your side and we definitely had luck on our side because every day we were presented with an animal we were looking for potentially could have killed right so um yeah so you, i just always i still think that way and always have kind of thing you just got to put yourself out there and you're not going to kill animals from your your couch so yeah that's funny i had like just been making notes as the podcast went along it's like all right what what are the all these little things that led to you know the success of this hunt right and like obviously planning came in part of it you guys did a lot of research on where to be um mm-hmm. and then luck was the second thing on there like you know no matter what you do there is an aspect of luck but then you guys were fit enough and tough enough to pack animals day after day and then also just taking advantage of you know I think a lot of people you were loaded up with a bear and a goat on your back and you're hiking back to get it off and you see caribou and you immediately go, well, let's go kill those. Right. Like there's no, <laughs> I think a lot of people would be like, well, we, we can't go kill those animals. We've got to get this, you know, what's on our back <laughs> to camp. Right. But I think there's a lot to be said for it's something you can almost say, just being dumb, like screw it. Well, let's just do it and figure it out later. Right. And yeah, I'm sure that really- comes from knowing this probably just comes from past experience of like, no matter how much it sucks, you, you know, you kind of said there, like we survived, like we got it done. We survived and have great memories yeah. to look back on. Yeah. I've definitely had regrets in other hunts where you're like, you look at, you see something and you're just like, you know, you make up, you make up an eye or you have a thought in your head, like, Oh, I, I can't do this right now. Or it's not a good timing or this and that, but like, and then you just, I just, you know, that memory or regret just is in the back of your head all the time. So like, and we were both in the same, we both had the same mindset. Like we just, just got it done and we were going to deal with it after and like we knew we could do it but you know it wouldn't be easy but so we got we just pulled the triggers (laughs) i like the attitude yeah i mean when you're forced to like now we have to figure this out then you'll figure it out (laughs) if you want to sit back and like try to figure it out beforehand you're just going to meet way more excuses than solutions you know yeah and i think another thing of that is like who you're hunting with your partner because like you know like you said like some guys will say we can't do that we're never we're no we'll never be able to get these back to the lake or this not like but then we were both in the same we both had the same thoughts like we'll get it who cares we didn't even think about not doing it we just did it and so yeah having a, a hunting partner that you both have the same mindset really 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 helps in those kind of hunts or situations right yeah and who yeah, isn't absolutely. afraid who isn't afraid to like you know suffer some pain and uncomfortable being uncomfortable right so yeah i mean this trip would be potentially drastically different potentially catastrophic based on who you're with and i know you mentioned it early but you kind of met this guy through some online stuff but you guys had done some other hunts that weren't this extreme prior. Uh, and so that's just, you know, important to highlight as like you can mesh with somebody and find somebody that works or like you said, with some of the guys you've hunted with in the past, Scott, like you just kind of knew it wasn't quite fully compatible in terms of like capabilities or mindset, but mm-hmm. assessing all that before a big trip like this is obviously just critical. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's a heck of a story. I don't know, uh, you know, timing wise, how everything takes place, but do you know what your plans are for this hunting season up there in BC? Um, I'm not going to be able to, I don't, I won't be able to get up Northern BC this year just because of, uh, other commitments and vacation time like that. But, uh, um, we, we have our, our draws are in progress right now. So but I'm just putting in for some local stuff around, around here. So, um, with my work schedule, I still get, I get, you know, seven days off in a stretch. So I will still be able to get some good hunts in 
backpack trips around for deer. Hopefully maybe a goat, if I can get a goat draw around here somewhere close. But, uh, but I don't have any set in stone plans yet this for this year yet. Kind of waiting to see how the our draws pan out. Cool, man. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, as a heck of a story and definitely some like lessons to learn from it and just different ways to think about situations has my gears turning and I'm sure it did for the listeners as well. So thanks for sharing it. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, that is a wrap on this episode and on this backpack hunt breakdown series for now. Once again, if you have any questions or suggestions for us, send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com, or you can also ask us a question via audio that we'll include in a future Monday Minute. Just look for the link in the show description that says leave a message. Thank you for tuning in and sharing your questions. Don't forget we have the July giveaway going on for just a few more days. You can go check out exomountgear.com forward slash podcast to learn more about the giveaway and how to get entered. It takes just a few seconds. While you're there, you can also find all previous episodes of the podcast. You can search by keyword, browse by topic, and more. Check that out. There's also a link in the show description. Finally, if you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon.